This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. Is it, is it relevant? Is it hard enough? Does it differentiate well enough? So for some brewers, the Congress data will be really their best information source. For other brewers, the IOB or the infusion mash malt COA would be a better fit for them, especially if those brewers are brewing with hot under high mash in temperatures. One is theoretical performance and one is closer to actual performance. And to me, actual performance would beat theoretical performance every day of the week. We need brewers to understand there are these differences and both of these methodologies will give you different information. This week on the show, we reignite a debate about the validity of the Congress mash. Should the numbers on your malt COA be produced from a mash that's more similar to your brewery mashes? Did you know that's what's already happening when you buy UK malt? All that and more on the 200th episode of the Master Brewers podcast. Hi, this is uh, Mary Jane Maurice, and I am with Malt Europe North America. Hi, I'm Glenn Fox. I'm Professor of Malting and Brewing Science at the University of California in Davis. What the heck is a Congress mash and where did it come from? So the Congress mash, um, and it wasn't actually called the Congress mash uh, until uh, the later 20th century, but apparently there's in the uh, Weinsteffen Brewing School Library, there's evidence of a very similar mash already from the German Brewers Convention of 1815. Um, And then the actual time and temperatures was standardized and began larger use in in 1907. And then it it became called the the Congresswort as it was standardized for the European Brewing Congress of 1975. 
All right. And give us a, a high-level overview of what that procedure looks like. What What is the malt subjected to in a Congress mash? So it's, it's got a, a, a low, relatively low temperature, uh, definitely low compared to what's happening in most breweries. It starts off with, with a 45-degree Celsius hold, and uh, that gives time for any remaining endobeta-glucanase action, uh, some protease action. And then you actually, you go up one degree per minute to actually pass through the, the maxima of, of your beta amylase activity and then your alpha amylase activity up to 70 degrees. Uh, and that you actually have your conversion uh, at 70 degrees, you can actually watch it happen. If you you're watching the uh, the the mash bath, everything starts out very starchy white when you first start the Congress mash, and then several minutes into that 70 degree um, that hour at 70 degrees, that's when you actually see uh, the color really come out. That whiteness goes away because that was starch, which is now sugar and, and clear. So you can. You actually, it's, it's kind of neat. You actually see it, the conversion take place. I don't know exactly what year you guys can tell me, but then this newfangled version of it, which is, can be known as the IOB or the EBC um, 65C mash comes, comes along. Talk about that. Where did that come from and how is it different from the Congress mash? Well, the IOB, the Institute of Brewing mash has a, <clears throat> a fairly long history. It was a, a method set up in the 1860s. So we like the EBC methods. They have been around a long time and they have been standardised for a long time. It was based on how the English brewers were brewing at the time where they were brewing in or mashing in at much higher temperatures. So it's focusing on Temperatures in that 64, 65 degrees Celsius. So the mash temperature is actually standardized to 65 degrees C. Again, it can be used with a fine grind or a coarse grind malt. The dilution or the grist to liquor ratio is, is even more thinner than a Congress mash. We're talking 50 grams in 360 mil of water. It's basically cooked for 60 minutes. And that really does limit any enzyme activity. There are only a couple of enzymes active at that temperature, and those two enzymes are really starch-degrading enzymes, beta amylase and alpha amylase. And even beta amylase will only survive 10, 15 minutes, and the temperature is just too hot, and the enzyme will lose activity and be denatured. Alpha amylase will continue to hydrolyze starch. So after that 60 minutes, then the, the, the pot is pulled out of the mash bath, cooled, and then we filter. And from that wort, we'll take away the wort to, to do all the other analysis for the malt COA. So the, the difference between the methodologies is quite stark in terms of grist to liquor ratios, temperatures and times, and it's all designed around the malt quality of the day and also reflecting the brewing styles of those regions that were developing these methods. So the, the Congress mash has been predominant in North America this whole time, as far as I can tell. 
What about in Europe? Did they um, have have they been using the the IOB method? Um, you know, is that has that been more widespread, uh, or, or were they also were they doing both, or, or what was going on there? I think you'll find that the EBC or Congress method we talk about was fairly standardised around the world. The IOB was limited mostly to the UK, and certainly in Australia, they were using the IOB method for malt analysis. Certainly for the domestic brewers, they would get that analysis from their molsters. But the molsters then were supplying, if they were exporting malt, they were supplying a Congress-based uh, malt COA. So I think the Congress mash has been a global uh, analysis, uh, and the IOB was really specific interests, certainly was very much based in the UK. And you can see that reflected today because if you're buying malt from a UK molster, uh, I won't name anyone, but certainly those some of those great molsters in the UK, they will provide they will give you a malt COA, but you will know that that malt COA has been developed from an, an infusion mash. And I think this is where sometimes people might get a little unstuck. They might buy one type of malt from a, an American or a European molster and another type of malt from a, a UK molster, and they put those malts together, but they're looking at a malt, the two malt COAs, and they're probably produced under different conditions. So, again, it's, it's understanding who's using what, and why they're using it, and knowing that there could well be a difference. Why is now the time to challenge the relevance of these methods? So there's, there's differences in, in how the industry is assessing malt quality now. Well, generally, there's the standard methods we talk about. And it's been a conversation that's been going on for well over 100 years. Uh, we can look at notes from Institute of Brewing meetings in the UK back in the 1800s where they were still talking about the relevance of the, the new methods and in many cases they were not relevant to the brewing industry. But we had to standardise methods, so they went through a process of standardising methods. Let's jump to, into the 21st century and again all of this has been challenged because we've got such a such a, an increase in craft brewing, and the craft brewers are really probably more on a fine edge of getting the best efficiency in the brew house, so they can actually be more sustainable and profitable. So they're they're probably at a slightly greater risk uh, when their their systems aren't working to full efficiency. So there is just some questions. Arising, and it may well be the wheel has turned a full 360 degrees uh, compared to 180 years ago. Again, people are questioning these methods and the relevance of these methods. And I guess the the opportunity has has come to us now to really sit down and and not only provide information to people that there is these differences between some methods. Let's hear more about the differences between the methods. How great are they? From these different methods, if we do these modified methods in the lab to, to measure malt quality, then we will see variation in other work parameters because the, the whole mashing process is dictating conversion and what the profile of that work will look like. 
So again, this is a much, much more complicated story than, oh, let's just look at extract between these two methods. Both of these or all these different methods will ultimately change the work quality. And often you can't compare two, well, really you can't compare two MASH methods, two different MASH methods and say, oh, well, we've got different values. You, ex you should ex be expecting different values. MJ, on, on episode 135, you also mentioned that one of the major challenges with switching gears on the Congress MASH is that we'd all need a magic decoder ring to recalibrate on what's a good number or a bad number for various COA parameters. Absolutely. How are the, how are the Europeans handling that? Uh, they've done a lot of side-by-side -side studies uh, in order to come up with, with new ranges. Uh, you know, I personally think everything should be done on a, on a a coarse grind mash um, and uh, with a higher temperature mat uh, with no decoction style uh, steps in it. But that, that really is, is quite a different mash and it does tend to uh, separate the, I don't want to say the men from the boys, but the, um, <laughs> the better malt from the, um, Lesser malt, I'll, I'll say that. The, the, the enzyme kinetics and everything, this is just a much more challenging environment uh, for the malt. So it does tend to make the differences in, in numbers like fan and beta-glucan uh, more relevant, in my opinion, because you see a greater differentiation between uh, you know, lesser and better malts. A European study set out to really understand the differences between the methods. Tell us about that. Yeah, to, to me, you know, the, the study that was undertaken between 2012 and, and 2015 um, really was, was about getting maltsters and brewers to that comfort level where they, they can take a beta-glucan and say, you know, maybe it's not, you know, the Congress mash says 130 max, but uh, the uh, IOB 65C method, um, it's because of the difference in density, temperature, you know, anything under 200 is fine. Um, so it's, it's really about knowing where those kind of cutoffs are going to be. And it takes a long time with a lot of comparative data to be able to do that. Um, you know, we're just so, uh, we're just so familiar, especially here, um, you know, in North America with ASBC um, methods that you don't, to, to disrupt those ranges, um, that really is a, um, a totally different ball game um, in, in terms of being able to read a spec, uh, set, set specifications, read a COA, you know, we want to make sure that people uh, can, you know, dig out those good nuggets that are there in the COA, um, as I, I've spoken to um, before. And, you know, this is the way to, to get to that comfort level where you're able to do that. Yeah, and it's interesting. It sounds like it basically took them, you know, seven or eight years of having that um, comparative data to analyze it all and to, to be able to confidently present sort of, you know, new reference values and say, okay, well, this is the, 
this would be the new normal. The Congress mash is super thin. It's like eight to one. Is the IOB 65 also very thin or does it adjust for a mash thickness? Yes, I think there's, it's still what we would consider a fairly dilute mash. Yes. They're not, they're not working in what we would call the, the high gravity brewing range. So we're still in a, in a system that's allowing good enzyme uh, activity, allowing a- enzymes access to the substrates, but it's probably still not close enough to a commercial high gravity mash system. Uh, and that may be a limitation due to how efficient some of these laboratory mash baths could work. So it's not necessary, it's not a, an interest in the methodology. It may well be at the moment this is just the, the, the first step to moving to some standardization in the methods. Yeah, we had a heck of a, a, a time, you know, using our existing mash bath at that point, um, uh, getting it actually to stir. Um, when we tried to go up into like the 15 uh, Plato type type words. And so I think that is you know, just a, a limitation that's going to be difficult to get up to actual uh, brewing gravities um, in, in these mash baths. That makes sense. So is it safe to assume that you, uh, you see the um, isothermal 65C procedure um, not necessarily as the solution to the problem, but more of a step in the right direction. I w- I would say that yes, you know it's a very very good step in in the, the right direction. Uh, you know, going into an infusion mash. You know, m- most brewers aren't doing a decoction um, <laughs> anymore because the malt quality is just so much better that you don't require those. You know, enzyme holds at temperatures to try and and finish what maybe the maltster didn't get done in the malt house. So you know they've been able to go with the isothermal um, generally just because of the uh, the improvement in in malt quality. You know we look at at tra- you know going back to traditional malting in in, in brewing, but um, you know something that was a 195 beta glucan was perfectly acceptable not that long ago and and now most brewers you know just because of the the different enzyme kinetics in the mash uh they would really struggle uh to produce a mash with with that high of a congress wort beta glucan and uh you know get that to run off what else needs to change with the isothermal 65 method what else could be improved well i i don't think it's a case of improving the method Uh, i think it's we have to understand the methods are telling us different things and i think it's a fit for purpose case so for some brewers the congress data will be really their best information source for other brewers the IOB or the infusion mash malt COA would be a better fit for them, especially if those brewers are brewing with hot, under high mash in temperatures. As, as Mary Jane has said, it's really about understanding 
we're working with a, an active biological biochemical system here. We have enzymes that have a job to do. If the malt is a little bit under-modified, so if we're talking KIs or, or your Kohlbach index of around 40 or less, we would consider that a little bit under-modified. So ideally, the enzymes still need a little bit of time to break down the, the beta-glucan arabinoxylan. The enzyme, some enzymes need to continue to break down some of the storage protein. So they, it's, it's almost like a continuation of the malting process in, this, in the Congress mash before the, the amylases and limit extranase can, can work on the starch. If you've got a, and, and as Mary Jane said, the malt quality now is, is, is so much better. So if you've got a, a higher modification, something 42, 44, the enzymes have pretty well done their job. Uh, and now you just want the amylases to get in there and chomp up the starch. So it's really understanding fit, what you need to know from your malt. And sometimes Congress mash COA will be more than adequate. Other times, different brewers might need an infusion mash COA. I think the limitation is not in the methodologies. I think the limitation is we need brewers to understand there are these differences, and both of these methodologies will give you different information. All right. And, you know, on a practical basis, you know, to, to actually do two different styles of mashing, plus, a, you know, doing a fine and a coarse on both of those. Uh, for uh, for a lab like ours, that you know, some days we have 100 samples, uh, you know, to do 400 mashes in a day. Which, That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, that would be, you know, just uh, impossible. Uh, so, you know, my my goal would be to you know, to simplify the mashing to something that gives the closest information that we can practically get. Well, as we um, talked about before, I mean, ultimately, like, it's not impossible. There's just extra cost there, right? And so ultimately, that cost flows through to the brewer. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, how much do you want to pay? And for, for what information do you expect for, for, for that money, right? Right. Coming up. This is an opportunity for the barley industry to consider improving some of their selections uh, by presenting their malts to this challenging method. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. 
Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentice, a global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Ontario is hosting a diversity webinar February 17th. Districts Rocky Mountain and St. Louis both meet February 18th. February 23rd is part one of a three-part webinar series on the topic of brewing CO2 and the current shortage affecting the industry. The first 25 registrations are discounted, so act fast. District St. Paul, Minneapolis has a scholarship kickoff and seltzer panel February 25th. Districts Milwaukee and St. Louis both meet March 18th. A couple of our veteran podcast guests will be putting on a webinar on the topic of standardized data collection with ASBC sampling plan. That's going to be on March 26th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins April 21st. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. There's finally a beer industry conference you can put on your calendar that might actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Now back to the show. Okay, I'd like to hear more about what we can expect to change within each parameter from one method to the next. Can you tell us that? Well, because we're, we're working with two different enzyme, uh, environments, the enzymes will behave differently. And while we're sort of focusing on the enzymes, often we, we're probably assuming people know a lot, a lot more about the biochemistry environment we work in. Uh, but we're talking about specific proteins that have a specific job to do, and their job is to basically break down the components within the grain. Uh, so they need to break down beta-glucan and arabinoxylan. Enzymes need to break down the storage proteins and some other proteins. And then the amylases and limit dextrinase need to break down the starch. So all of these enzymes have optimal environments. Both these mashes present different environments for the enzymes. So the enzymes then will have an optimal activity and as a consequence, what they produce as they cut the substrates will vary. 
So we would expect to see variation in the amount of nitrogen, soluble nitrogen produced between these two mashes. So the infusion mash could give you a lower soluble nitrogen because the hot temperature limits the proteases that will hydrolyze the storage protein because the proteases don't like it hot. Uh, the gluconase will also have limited activity. So you will see higher wort beta glucans. You will see less color in your infusion mash. So there is some expected differences we know will happen. But I think it's still challenging to quantify that into numbers to say you will see a difference of 100 milligrams in wort beta glucan because all the malts are different and they will behave differently based on their their inherent levels of enzymes. I think we, we're confident to say we will see either a, a higher value coming from the mash, uh, uh, an IOB mash for wort beta glucan, and we'll see less fan. Um, I think at the moment that's that's our position um, because you just can't quantify it in, down to the a value when we know there's just so much variation in in malt quality. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fine and that makes sense. Um, so um, you you just went through a few of them of what we what we can expect. Um, let's talk about a few other points. So, for example, how's extract going to be different from one to the other? Well, this is. Convenient because I was only doing some extracts yesterday uh, <laughs> and compare, comparing uh, some malts that had had the, a Congress mash done on them, and I did a, an, an infusion mash on these same malts. And for well modified malts, so when we're getting a Colbach index 42, 44, a fine grind Congress and a fine grind infusion extract will be very similar. The Congress might be a, a point or two higher. Uh, 78.3 compared to, well, sorry, 80.3 compared to 80.2. If you've got a lower modification, then the difference could be a little bigger. Uh, but again, with a fine extract, you are really giving the enzymes their best environment to do their job. It's the coarse extract that is probably closer to how the enzymes will behave in a commercial brewing system. And as Mary Jane said before, her proposal back in the 90s about let's just look at course uh, is is still very true today and I completely support that. But if I was doing two mashes and I wanted to see a difference between two mashes, I'd be looking for a Congress course and an IOB course and the difference between those two would be most informative for me. If we're looking at the differences in the courses or a coursed mill, the IOB, we can see a bigger difference in the fine course in the less modified malts because, again, the enzymes have even more limited opportunity to hydrolyze all that the substrates that they've got to break down. So, again, fit for purpose, what's your brewing style? It may well be that the Congress data works for you, but another brewer, the infusion mash data, the, the IOB data might be best as an information source for your brewery. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, all the folks out there using mash filters are going to say, well, hey, wait a second, you know, I, I need that fine, fine, fine analysis, right? Well, that's true. But again, that's the conversation that the molsters have to have, uh, the brewers have with their molsters. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, if a, if a malt is, is the coarse grind extract is higher, it's going to be higher than another malt 
whether you have a lauder or you have a mash filter. Right. So I, I personally do not think uh, that a coarse grind is irrelevant to somebody with a mash filter. All right. Um, how much more uh, do you think the analyzed results will change uh, if we adopt a, a new method that also addresses the mash thickness? So let's say you get past the equipment limitations and you go to a, a really you know high gravity brewing situation. How much more are we going to see these parameters shift? You know, you've already done one shift from Congress to the to the um, IOB sixty five. Um, if you take that and then add, you know, ramp up the thickness, um, is it going to change substantially more or just a little bit more or what? I personally think the differentiation between uh, properly modified and poorly modified malts um, is, is going, going to be bigger. And I think that's the most Im- important thing that we really want to get out of malt analysis and and I'm not saying just for the brewer but for the maltster as well we want to have the best prediction of how this malt is going to work and so having that larger differentiation uh, between the two is is definitely good directionally in terms of of, of the predictability of malt performance and that's what you know that's what the the, the criticism is of the congress worked and how it, that then cascades into all of the different analyses. Um, you know, is it is it relevant? Is it hard enough? Does it differentiate well enough um, between different qualities of malt? What about barley breeding? It seems like that's an area where you'd really want to have the differences stand out as much as possible. If we go under the premise that you get better differentiation um, between uh, properly modified and poorly modified malts with this isothermal 65C uh, mash, that that might actually be um, quite an important uh, piece of information for breeding programs to do, uh, to have that. you know, every time you have a, when you have a breeding program, it's, you're always looking for that needle in the haystack. And, uh, I, I personally think that the, uh, IOB mash is going to give you a better idea of, of which one is your potential, uh, needle in that haystack and, and, and really kind of drive, uh, better decision making on which varieties go forward. I don't know if Glenn, what your thoughts are on that, but I agree completely. We we would only use the IOB mash for our uh, selection in breeding programs in Australia, and we'd only use the course because, again, it really did separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, and yes. the effort for barley breeders or breeders in general is to get rid of the rubbish. How quickly can they can get rid of the rubbish and focus on the good stuff and bring more material into their breeding programs? So the IOB is the perfect method to separate the potential good malting varieties from those that would never make it. So even under a Congress mash, they'll look okay, but they will never look brilliant. 
the IOB will make them look bad really quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> even even in the breeding programs, and this is the first time that or the, probably the first part of the industry, first sector in the industry that could really value using this method. Um, as you move down the pipeline in the breeding program, certainly the industry would want to see Congress data. And that's when breeders breeding programs might be doing a little bit of both at the same time. But for the early generation selection, they are definitely should definitely be using the, the infusion because it will really show them what is not going to make it. And one of the nice things about only uh, you know doing a coarse grind infusion early on in, in the breeding uh, process, you have a very limited amount of, of barley that you can malt. So the difference between having 100 grams to do a fine in a course and only needing 50 grams for the course, uh, that's, you know, that's a positive as well is, is you carry over more of your seed or you can do more analysis uh, earlier in the game. Glenn, have you seen other barley breeding programs outside of Australia adopt the IOB method or is there still awareness to be raised there? Well, I think probably the the home team, the, the UK, where the IOB method started, there'd be breeding programs using that because that's the only method they're thinking about in the UK. I don't see too many molsters or brewers worried about the Congress mash in the UK, so they really are focused on that. So the, the breeding programs certainly in the UK would be would be focusing on, on an IOB. I think the rest of the world is still focusing on Congress mash. So I think this is an opportunity for the barley industry to consider improving some of their selections uh, by just presenting this, presenting their malts to this challenging method, uh, and it will really separate the the good potential malt varieties from the basically the the crap. Glenn, progress can be painful. How much trouble are these changes going to cause or perhaps maybe already causing in the in the case of Europe within the academic and research communities? Or should we just think about this as timely stimulus to print new textbooks? <laughs> I think it's it's gonna be an ongoing conversation and by saying ongoing conversation, it's been going on since the 1800s. Uh, and probably every 10 years or so, something happens within industry and suddenly they go, well, why haven't we changed the methods? What's going on? And it's usually because there's an innovation in the brewing process that suddenly challenges some standard malt data. Uh, and as Mary Jane said before, the mash filter was quite an innovation in the brewing industry and suddenly people were worried about modification levels and wort beater glucan levels. Um, I think it's going to take time. I don't see either of these methods dis disappearing. Not, neither of these will disappear. I think both are still relevant uh, and people should be considering looking at both when they're doing, when they're teaching and teaching about the, the value and the relevance of both. If they're doing research, trying to do both of these methodologies when they're doing research so they could get to the nub of the question they're asking, what's the difference in something or how does mashing conditions change something? Um, by only using one method, you're really limiting the output uh, that you can share with people. So I, I think we're, we're here with these two methods or two methodologies. 
it's going to take years. Uh, there will be some rapid adopters. So some brewers will go, great, I need to get into understanding this IRB methodology more because it may be more relevant for my brewery. There will be other brewers very familiar with the Congress methods. <laughs> They're very familiar with the data and how they can use that data, and they will just continue to, to stick with that methodology. So I think it's really just about continuing to educate people. There is not going to be some sort of revolution <laughs> with molsters and brewers sort of out in the streets arguing, and it'll be a quiet conversation over a beer in the bar <laughs> about how we, we use these methods that, that continue to help the industry and, and keep the industry sustainable. Yeah, I don't sounds think... Like, sounds I don't like think MJ is going to be... Going to be getting her ready to process 400 samples a day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think you know we're going to storm the Congress mash. Um, you know, <laughs> just, you know, dismantle it. But you know, really, uh, on a practical level, um, yes, I, I on, honestly would like to see us go with one. Um, you know, act academically. I think that there's a lot of good information that you can get from doing both mashes, but um, just from a practical standpoint, um, I, you know, I, I really think that I, I will learn more about my malt in, you know, the, the hot water extract. All right, cool. Um, so let's talk about, let's say, let's imagine a future where there was a big shift and the Congress mash was abandoned. Uh, what about the benefits of a Congress mash? Is there anything that would be lost in a transition to a new method? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. For example, you know, some folks are going to say that the purpose of a Congress mash is to understand the maximum theoretical performance of the malt not to predict how it's going to behave in the brew house or in my brew house what do you say to that one is theoretical performance and one is closer to actual performance and to me actual performance would you know beat theoretical performance every day of the week and I, and i mean that for both Again, for both maltsters and brewers, um, it's not just um, it's not just brewers knowing what their malt's going to do. It, maltsters need to to be able to better predict how their malt is going to perform, uh, so that, that they make sure you know that the malting process that's used uh, is is in line with what the expectation of actual brewery performance is. Good, that makes sense. Um, why and how should brewers make their opinions known on this topic? I think the, the, the biggest thing, and you know, that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this, is, is to get the conversation started. And then hopefully, you know, at uh, you know, master brewers meetings and things like that, um, start presenting some data and, you know, really get Get a discussion going. Um, it's you know it's it's going to be a, a tough change um, in in some ways, but um, I think that the end point in terms of of relevance of malt analysis as the ultimate goal, it, it's worth that that effort to get 
get to that point. Glenn, you got anything to add to that or no? I completely support Mary Jane. This is a conversation that we're having. It's an ongoing conversation. There are bodies that represent the craft molsters and craft brewers. They need to talk to their bodies, uh, their representatives, and say, well, let's get people together uh, and have this conversation and come up with a, if, the, if there is needed, a set of uh, a plans to, again, harmonise some transition uh, between the methodologies. Uh, we have these methodologies available. It's really, again, conversations need to be had. If you need to get IOB data, then ask for that. But as Mary Jane has also said, um, <laughs> we don't want to be doing all of these methods at once because it is a really time-limiting process and an expensive process. Yes. So don't ask for IOB coarse and fine and EBC coarse and fine. Your molster may well do it for you, but boy, oh boy, they are going to charge you for that. You're going to pay for it. That's right. You are going to pay for it. There won't be be any discounts or charity uh, because all of this work costs money. And that's in some ways a limitation on how much information is on the malt COA to start with. We know there's so many more things that could be uh, given, so many more traits that could be measured. But again, time and cost really precludes some other things being included. Do you foresee any new technologies in the pipeline that may um, offer just alternative ways to measure some of these parameters that might be more cost-effective or practical? Well, from my perspective, I think there's more opportunities for some technology to be used in the brew house so brewers can get more real-time data. And there's companies now around supplying various technologies where you can get more information on uh, sugar profiles and other work parameters. Yeah, amino amino acid uptake. Yeah, bittering compounds, um, colour compounds. So there are technologies available, and I won't single out one, but just say there are technologies out there now that will be able to provide brewers with real-time data. So I don't think it's – we won't put it back on the molsters to say you've got to give us more data. Um, I think there's opportunities for the breweries to start looking at what technologies are out there to give them more real-time data because then that data is relevant to them in their brew house. Cool. You know, I really think something like, uh, you know, a, a workshop uh, – ASBC and NBAA, uh, you know, meetings. I think that's that's really um, really valuable opportunity to to get for for some things to be presented, and then get that conversation going, uh, so that you know we really have, you know, everybody's well, everybody who wants to participate's, you know, view of this uh, directionally. And can uh, you know decide how we how we really go about uh, giving giving the malt a better way to to tell us about its quality? Sounds like a good idea. Perhaps we should um, stage it like a, um, a presidential debate or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was Mary Jane Maurice and Glenn Fox here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to weigh in on the matter, check the show notes for a link to Ask the Brewmasters, the industry's best technical brewing discussion forum. I've started a thread there so your voice can be heard. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Okay.